This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Lavery. Uh, Susie, my co-host, is uh, working this week. We have a little bit of an earlier show uh, that we're doing today, so she was uh, unable to get off uh, work early enough to be here, but uh, we're definitely going to have her back on next week, so uh, tune in for that. Um, but I'm super excited about today's show because, uh, you know, I, normally we cover the uh, techniques and uh, you guys are used to hearing me cover those kind of things but we're going to go a little bit off the rails today and do a different kind of show um you guys have heard uh, uh any of the regular listeners of the show have heard me interview jeff little uh quite a few times uh we've had him on for all sorts of different things uh definitely a fountain of knowledge uh for all things uh fishing and uh, kayak angling um and just an all-around great guy but uh one of the things that Jeff introduced me to last season uh, was a cool little uh, tournament uh, called the Blotchy Bass Bonanza. And um, uh, I was able to kind of compete in that uh, towards the end of the year last year. Um, it uh, gave me some incentive to get out on the water uh, once all the noobs tournaments and the other tournaments that we do were done. And uh, just, uh, you know, kind of pushed me to kind of fish a little bit more than I might have otherwise. And uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. and. Um, 
it actually uh, there it's going on again this year. So I was able to start right away this year when it, it started up. So I've been uh, uh, taking part of that uh, since it started back up this year. But uh, I reached out to the folks uh, who kind of uh, got that all up and running and asked them if they wanted to come on the show. And they were gracious enough to accept that uh, invitation. So uh, I'd like to introduce to you guys, Sean, Cynthia and Luke from Blotchy Bass Bonanza. And uh, they're going to tell us a little bit about uh, all that fun stuff, how it came to be. And, uh, you know, I'm interested to hear uh, everything about the, you know, the origins and, and uh, you know, who it's benefiting and, you know, all the other things that come along with that. So welcome to the Noob Show, guys. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, yeah, for, thanks for having me, Sean. No problem. Thanks, Sean. So, uh, if you guys want to just take turns introducing yourselves, um, uh, who you are, where you're from, and then how you got involved with uh, Blotchy Bass Bonanza and, and all things behind that. Well, since I'm the only lady in the group, I'll go first. Uh, my name is Cynthia Holtz. I'm a fish biologist with Texas Parks and Wildlife out of uh, DFW. And I actually got involved in the project because one of the primary investigators, which is one of Luke's students, uh, was a colleague of mine from Mississippi State University. And... He was telling me, you know, about this data collection process he was trying and need a little help. And I was happy to join in because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have my Ph.D. So shout out to Clay. Very nice. Maybe I'll maybe I'll step in. So um, my name's Luke. I want to a research biologist with the U.S. Geological Survey, at the Eastern Ecological Science Center. Um, you know, essentially, this blotchy bass syndrome is a. A condition that kind of landed on our radar, um, you know, almost a decade ago, and you know, essentially, we've been doing a lot of research looking into the biology behind um, what causes it, and essentially wanted to launch a, you know, a nationwide effort to actually um, get a better handle on where and when uh, anglers were actually seeing this, which kind of segues into Sean. Yeah, thanks, Luke. And uh, yeah, so my name's Sean Simmons. I uh, run an online platform called the Angler's Atlas and a mobile app called MyCatch. And uh, a really central focus of what we do is citizen science, where we engage anglers to help address key research and or management challenges faced by fishery scientists. And, uh, and it's really yielded really new and unique ways about practicing science where the anglers get to lead the charge. So I'll dive into that in a little bit more. But uh, yeah, just for those folks uh, uh, who are curious, uh, I'm based in a place called Prince George, northern British Columbia. Just for those who see the map behind me, Seattle's there, <laughs> Vancouver's there. I'm way up there in the central interior, 360 degrees of wilderness. Wow. Okay. Well, what time is it there? I, I, I always feel bad when I have yeah. people that are so far away. It's still morning. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, I appreciate you again, taking the time to come on. So, um, so that's interesting. I, you know, I, you know, I, I've obviously caught the, um, uh, small mouth bass with the blotchy, uh, spots on them. And, um, I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of theories around, uh, going on around about that. Um, I've heard different things like, oh, it doesn't really uh, affect the fish. It's just a pigmentation thing. I've, I was curious, you know, how much truth there is to that. And, you know, um, what's what, you know, what leads you to study that? Is it really a, a, an issue or is it like, you know, is it cosmetic? Sure. So maybe I'll jump in for this. So so essentially this the, the hyperpigmentation that you're talking about, or these you know, the blotches, um, have been observed by anglers for a number of years now. So 
Um, actually, some of the first evidence of this condition was uh, observed or reported back in the mid-1980s in the Hudson River in largemouth bass. Um, it really hit our radar um, around 2012, about a decade ago, in the Susquehanna River drainage. Um, around that, just prior to that time, there were lots of um, mortality events in smallmouth bass. And uh, kind of shortly after, uh, anglers started observing smallmouth bass with this blotchy pigmentation, which is something they hadn't previously noted. Um, so we, we, um, we with USGS basically started working with uh, state biologists with the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission to kind of get a handle on, on the cause. Um, at the time, you know, there really wasn't any good science supporting, um, you know, potential causes. Uh, there was some, there was speculation that maybe this condition was the uh, result of a recessive trait, um, you know, exposure to UV. Um, at that time, there was a lot of endocrine disruption research being done in the Susquehanna River, and there was a thought that maybe contaminants were part of it. Um, we started using some uh, contemporary DNA methods and actually identified um, a new type of virus associated with with these pigmented lesions. So we've really been following up on on this uh, viral etiology as a as a cause in um, you know in the case of the smallmouth bass and the largemouth bass as well. Okay. I was curious about the widespreadness of it uh, as well. Like I happen, I live 15 minutes from the Susquehanna, so I'm sure. graced to have one of the best fisheries right, right in my backyard. Um, but as such, I think, yep. you know, I had heard that this was one of the the main places where it's that, that phenomenon has been observed. And uh, I was curious, you know, how widespread is it? You know, I, um, you know, I, if you're saying Cynthia, you're from Texas, you see it down there and, uh, how does that spread? Is it because uh, I know uh, the time frame that you're talking about the Susquehanna, um, just from my uh, research and talking to the riverkeeper for our area, you know, the, the Susquehanna really was kind of in a bad way at that point. There was mm -hmm. a lot of uh, pollution. Um, it's still an ongoing fight today, um, but it's definitely uh, come back as a fishery uh, and and we're doing, you know, not great, but still better than we were obviously, uh, in the time frame that you're referring to there. So. Right. Yep. So, so you've kind of asked questions about the, the where and when, right. So, you know, it's interesting because that, as we, you know, talk to state partners, um, particularly in the case of largemouth bass, um, you know, this condition has almost, it's, it's been observed, you know, forever. Um, you know, there are reports and, you know, Cynthia can probably give you some background information on observations in, in the South and Texas and whatnot. Um, you know, but anglers kind of historically have always sort of seen this and really, I guess, never took note of it in largemouth bass anyway. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because in the case of smallmouth bass, um, it, it almost seems to be currently emerging. You know, we have, uh, relationships with fish biologists in Vermont that just started seeing this, you know, a couple of years ago, it's just sort of the case about what a decade ago in Susquehanna and that all, and we have reports of blotchy smallmouth bass as of 2008 up in Lake St. Clair. So, um, 
you know, a big question is, you know, what, what changed? What, you know, was this a new introduction? Like, you know, seeing how we, we have evidence of this viral etiology, there's sort of some question about, you know, was virus recently introduced to those areas? So we're actually in the process of doing some, you know, science behind the scenes to kind of ask that question. Um, but really, we're kind of just at the beginning of the story when it comes to answering questions. And, you know, which is one of the reasons why um, this blotchy bass bonanza was launched, because we really want to get a, a solid handle on on where anglers are actually seeing this. Right. Because then we can actually start asking some better questions once once we know the where. And then, you know, there is evidence that there's some seasonality to this condition. So so again, you know, knowing that information, we can kind of come in and, and ask some better science questions. Gotcha. Gotcha. And Cynthia, has that been your uh, experience, you know, uh, as far as how, how prevalent it is in the South and, and, and uh, Texas area? Yeah, uh, we actually, I was just double checking my dates here. We, um, we actually had uh, some reports of blotchy bass syndrome on largemouth bass going as far back as 2003. Okay. Uh, our, our fish disease specialist received some photos via email from some anglers um, and he received a few over the next, you know, decade or so, and then it kind of quieted down. Um, we have seen it on a few smallmouth bass, a few spotted bass, and then even a few Guadalupe bass, which uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, being from your area of the country, but Guadalupe bass is only found in Texas. So yep. um, this is when this initially started, you know, it was just sort of a data collection effort uh, for Texas Parks and Wildlife. But then once uh, we had an angler actually submit a photo of a Guadalupe bass that appeared to have blotchy bass syndrome, of course, we weren't able to get a definitive, you know, we weren't able to get a swab of it, but it looks blotchy. So then, you know, Texas Parks and Wildlife kind of started thinking, well, you know, we really need to get on get on this this train here because you know, if it is going to in any way negatively impact a fishery, you know, we definitely want to make sure we're protecting the Guadalupe. So, um, but yeah, we're mostly seeing definitely the seasonal aspect. Of course, in Texas, it gets warmer sooner than it does in the in the northern latitude. So, very jealous. Our <laughs> our anglers have actually been reporting uh, blotchy fish uh, since December. Gotcha. Um, we started getting really heavy reports uh, about February or March, and right about now they're starting to die off. I, I was a month ago getting two or three submissions a day. Now I'm getting two or three submissions a week. Gotcha. So, okay. So there definitely seems to be on that end a, a seasonal aspect to it. Um, and I was curious, um, just, you know, when we're talking about seeing the numbers increase, you know, 2003 to 2012, you know, how much just information sharing probably contributed to that? Because maybe in 2003, there wasn't necessarily a great way for uh, someone in Texas to say to someone in Pennsylvania, hey, we're seeing this, are you seeing this? And with, uh, you know, just how um, information sharing is become such a huge part of our culture and uh, technology has advanced, um, the ways uh, we can share information probably uh, has led to more um, uh, knowledge and, and awareness of it, I would think, as a general, as a whole. 
Absolutely, and and I can even speak to you because uh, no offense to Luke or Sean, but I think I'm the most recently removed from from you know an academic setting, and um, you know even up until last year when I became a part of this project, we had always been taught fisheries biologists were taught those hyperpigmented areas on a fish was it was melanosis or hyperpigmentation. It was related to stress or spawning or chemicals or any number of diet. I can't tell you how many anglers I have had say that they think it's because bass are eating crawfish and it's the iodine in the crawfish. Um, so, you know, like we are really just now learning that, you know, thanks to Luke and Clay's research that, it, that it's associated with a virus. And, and that's been something that, you know, as, as a fisheries biologist, I've had to say, well, shoot, I didn't, you know, I didn't know that. And now, you know, what I thought I knew for 15 years is not right. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's been really cool to see how it progresses and, and transforms what we know. And, it, and it's got to be good to, to if now that we, you, you, you might have some uh, evidence that is associated with a virus, that's got to be sending off some alarm bells to you because anything that's virus related can spread way quicker than you probably want it to. And if it is going to negatively impact a fishery, the more information you can have about it and, 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 you know, the earlier you can attack that probably the better, I would think. And that, you know, that, that was actually one of the, um, one of, one of the reasons for this, you know, blotchy bass bonanza, the biosurveillance too, is that, you know, I mean, for one, it's kind of, excuse me, it's kind of exciting to be on the front end of, of this, um, this issue, but, you know, originally when we wanted, we wanted to identify where anglers were seeing this disease and where they were not seeing it, right? So, if it's not in certain locations, potentially we can get ahead of it and and keep it out, right? Keep it from moving. Um, probably using you know similar uh, you know tactics like we do for um, aquatic nuisance species and whatnot. Um, you know, but there is that that aspect. And you you asked you asked this earlier, and I didn't really answer or address the question. But um, you know, at present we don't know if this virus is actually causing a problem in the fish. You know, so. Um, you know, we don't want to, uh, you know, lead to some type of public scare because the deal is we really don't know. Um, right. There's, there's probably the potential for, uh, you know, it's probably a risk factor for, um, you know, open skin lesions. But, um, you know, at the same time, you know, there is that aspect, um, you know, folks seem to be fairly sensitive to, to viruses these days. Um, so yes. We have to be especially given the last couple of years. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, we, we, we do have to be cautious, but also responsible, you know, with the way we, we address these, um, uh, you know, address these aquatic diseases. Right. Right. And that's, that's a very good point that, uh, it shouldn't be something that right away that, uh, you know, I, maybe alarm bells was a bad terminology, nope. but, uh, um, cause you, you obviously this has been around for a little bit and, and in, in populations of fish that like, I'd say if anything, probably the Susquehanna river is recovering is mm -hmm. actually better than it was probably when it was first observed. So, um, you know, it, it isn't something that's necessarily, you know, uh, uh, a negative or something that we absolutely have to, you know, drop everything and, and everybody run around with their 
you know, hair on fire uh, worrying about. But like you said, the more you know and the more you can say this isn't what's happening or this is what's happening, but uh, we have a handle on it and this is how we're going to address it, you know, the better. Yeah, I mean, there's an aspect, you know, Cynthia had kind of, you know, alluded to the fact that, you know, previously it was thought that this condition was the result of something else. So, you know, at the very least, and that's kind of where these forums are really useful is that we can actually help, you know, disseminate the best science we can, right? So we can actually, um, you know, so so folks actually genuinely understand, you know, why these fish look the way they do instead of, and instead of getting jumping to conclusions or best guesses. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Well that, that's, uh, I think a great, uh, way to do it. And, um, I'm curious where the idea to, to start using anglers as the, uh, uh, you know, data gatherers for this is, I, I think that's a, a brilliant idea. Um, cause I mean, you guys obviously have limited time, uh, fish biologists have limited time to, and, and can't cover the, you know, the amount of area that you would probably need to cover to get a good handle and a good data set on all of this, where, whereas if you, you know, target people who are already out there anyway, um, give them an incentive to do it, which obviously uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit too. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing that's how Sean kind of got involved in this. Um, I was just curious uh, what led to that and who, how that idea came about. Yeah, well, um, I guess, so, I mean, essentially, we wanted to launch some type of biosurveillance effort. Um, we spread spread the word with uh, a lot of state biologists and state agencies to try to collect data through them um, and realize it probably wasn't the most efficient mechanism. Um, both Clay and I were aware of, of some of these smartphone apps. Um, you know, originally, I thought it would be really... Um, that would be great if we could develop one, but you know that's, um, that's certainly not in our wheelhouse or with within our you know re- resources uh, within you know. Uh, so I, I'd actually we started looking around. I actually uh, noticed that uh, my one of my graduate advisors at UMass, um, Francis Juanez, who now lives in British Columbia, I believe. Um, had actually used um, Angus Atlas MyCatch, so I reached out to him and. He, he actually put me in touch with Sean and we, we kind of started that relationship from there. All right, Sean. And, and so when it landed in your lap, um, what uh, they basically said, Hey, we want to do this for uh, as a way to collect data. And um, um, why don't you explain a little bit about where anglers Atlas came from and how then that fit into what you do with anglers, anglers Atlas and my catch. Sure. Um, maybe I'll, I'll rewind the clock a little bit to sort of take you back how I got on this path in the first place. So I'm uh, a limnologist by training. So a little bit sideways from fishing is that I studied lakes. I studied the chemistry, the physics, the ecology, the biology of lakes. Uh, a local lake here in Prince George, I went through a big fish kill in 93. And when I was doing my research, uh, I realized all this great data had been uh, collected historically, detailed maps, stocking data. And if you like fishing, that stuff is gold. So after I graduated, I started publishing free fishing maps and we'd start interviewing local anglers, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, lodge on a lake or a river or, or a tackle shop in a local area and telling their stories and around maps for each one of these places. So we built out and this was starting 1999, uh, we now have over a quarter million uh, water bodies, including ocean 
where we, we've got maps available for anglers. And we realize that anglers also start sharing information back, certainly the hero shots. I mean, everyone loves to share their hero shot for sure, but they also share other pieces of data, you know, like uh, access points or uh, there's a warning here or that sort of stuff. A few will share hotspots, but we try and my catch is exclusively uh, secret spots stay secret. That's the promise we make to anglers. And that's got to be the deal for this thing to work is that uh, the high resolution location data has to be protected and very and only shared when you can trust the, the source like some universities uh, will, will share it with where they sign a data sharing agreement. So that's really important is making sure that the data is protected, but we want it published up publicized so we can generalize it off into a water body like the Susquehanna River. Sure, I caught a fish there, but we're not going to share where that fish was caught on that river. And that seems to be a good balance point. Anyway, so working with anglers, um, and mostly across Canada, but we've now certainly, as you can tell, moved in, into the U.S. as well. Uh, we, we were thinking at about six years ago, uh, talking with a bunch of scientists and the challenges they have in getting data on their fishery. I mean, traditional creel surveys, netting surveys, uh, all those survey methods are very expensive. So you can do a few pinpricks on the landscape, but it's really hard to get a good sense of what's happening across, uh, across, uh, you know, huge numbers of water bodies. But, you know, in Canada, we've got 4 million anglers in the U S I think there's about 40 million anglers many are passionate conservationists many really care about the resource and and historically have always liked participating in science you know if you go back pre-internet uh angler logbooks have been a really common form of engaging anglers to help fishery scientists now you were talking about sharing well with the advent of the phone with the internet but then especially the mobile phone it's opened up huge opportunities to really do this in a systematic, uh, scalable uh, system. So we launched the MyCatch app in 2018, specifically for anglers to report their catch data. So we could, at an early stage, just do like catch per unit effort, do a what's your catch rate and see, are we getting data that's similar to Creel? Because we didn't even know if we'd get good data. I mean, it could be highly skewed. I mean, you talk to a lot of fishery scientists, they won't trust anglers at all. <laughs> They're not going to tell us the right information. But we thought, you know what? There are enough anglers that do want to tell the right, in, uh, do want to share uh, good information that I think there's something here. And so that we started just scaling this up. And then over time, uh, we, we've learned that a lot of anglers will share data and the data is actually really good. And that's the thing that we spend a lot of time is, is really systematically collecting the data so it can fit an experimental design. So in this case, uh, Blotchy Bass is all about, can we collect uh, presence, uh, absence data? So where is it located? We're confident in that. And prevalence out of every hundred bass you catch, how many have that blotchy? so we can sort of get a sense of how how it ebbs and flows over time and so basically with those two criteria then we structured the event blotchy bass bonanza set it up and this is one of the key distinctions about what we've done with my catch uh, and I'll, I'll rewind back to 2012 or 2020 when covid hit two of our our staff are hardcore tournament anglers and they fished tournaments and they realized all their tournaments were canceled so we we're thinking, well, we've got an app. What if we adapt the app so we can run catch photo release tournaments? So a strong conservation message being able to, instead of holding the fish in a live well or harvesting the fish, we can get the fish back in the water at ideally in under a minute. So they're basically back swimming. Whereas we get length measurement, we get high resolution imagery of the fish. Uh, and we also get a GPS, which we're very careful about how we use. Only three people on my staff 
well, actually for J Jamie as well, can have access to that data. And we're bit, we lock it down. Even our tournament anglers, they can't touch that data on our staff. So, so, so it's really important. That's a, and I'll emphasize that over and over and over again because that that's such an important uh, factor. But anyways, but the event model has allowed us to rapidly expand up citizen science based on specific experiments. So this is Blotchy Bass. It's an event one of many we've got on the platform and it's very much tailored to answering this question about blotchy bass but we run a whole bunch of other events like uh, iowa walleye challenge working with the state of uh, iowa on the dnr to get a sense of what's happening with walleye across the state and so we've got another event we're just kicking off in the canada and the bow river to see if we can help identify whirling disease uh, it's a disease that affects trout. And so we set up an event for that. And that event model allows us to run all these uh, scientific experiments, essentially, where anglers are leading the charge uh, and answer those questions simultaneously. So that's really been the sweet spot is that event model for us. Anyways, I can talk for hours, so I'll zip it now and I'll pass it back to you. <laughs> No, I appreciate that. And, uh, but I, I think that's uh, one of the coolest things too, because um, that is a big thing for me is uh, the con conservation aspect of it. That's why I have the river keepers on. Um, after uh, talking to the river keepers, I became uh, involved in a local creek study where I go once a month and monitor the water quality for a, a creek that is a tributary to the Susquehanna River. Um, and I've, I've been crazy involved with that. We just recently started uh, studying microplastics as well to see the prevalence of that in the creeks and then how that uh, goes into the river. So uh, it is definitely something near and dear to my heart as well. Um, and just knowing the fact that I can go out and, and do something I love, which is fish. And, um, you know, it gives me motivation to get out on the water, but also to know that on top of all that, it's also going to a good cause is very, very cool. And the fact that there's prizes involved that, that uh, definitely sweetens the pot as well. So I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about that too. And uh, you know, how, uh, basically let folks know how they can uh, kind of get involved with this if they want to. Do you want uh, me to go or Cynthia? Or However Cynthia you guys. The deal. Okay. <laughs> okay. Then I'll, then I'll go. Um, well, I helped fa facilitate the APCO deal, but Sean and Luke and Clay set up the Bass Pro deal for last year. But um, essentially uh, we have been extremely lucky to get, um, you know, two different major companies that, that, you know, supply outdoor wildlife recreation uh, materials to, to all recreational enthusiasts. Um, but this year, AFTCO was uh, kind enough to donate, um, was it $15,000, Sean? Wow. $10,000. I'm sorry, $10,000 uh, in gift cards uh, for, to be given away as prizes for anglers who were drawn that had entered the blotchy bass bonanza. So essentially, and I'm kind of getting into Sean's world here, but um, <laughs> anglers can download the app, the MyCatch app for free. They go in there, they sign up for the blotchy bass bonanza event. It is also free. And then uh, they go fishing. Whenever they go fishing, they have to open the app, which it's kind of funny because this has been the one thing that's been the most difficult for Texas anglers to adjust to. Because last year, Texas anglers submitted everything via email to me after their fishing trip. But with the MyCatch app, you actually need to record the data and collect and take the photos within the app. So that's been sort of the, the adjustment that Texas anglers have had to make. Um, you know, but they, they take the photos in there. 
they submit their trip and they're automatically entered for a drawing. And because AFCO was so gracious, we can actually give away eight $100 gift cards a month. Wow. So, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty fantastic. And, you know, and like you mentioned, a lot of anglers, you know, like Sean mentioned, you know, the prize is just, you know, that's the cherry on top. They're just happy, you know, to be a part of something that they care so much about. Right. Right. And I, I figure if I'm going to be out on the water doing it anyway, and just a small little uh, time investment gets somebody else information that they need to help make that fishery a better place. I, I'm like, I'm all for it. There's no reason not to do it. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And Sean, I, um, I, 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 I just to throw another plug into your app. I love the fact that I can see my, my route and see where on my route I caught fish. So that helps me go back and you talk about fishing logs and stuff like that. I go back and look at that and say, oh, okay, on this day, oh, where did I go? Oh, I, yeah, I caught this fish down here. Uh, it was kind of similar weather conditions or whatever water conditions to today. So I'm going to go back to that spot and uh you know see if i try my luck and you know can do as well there so there's a lot of information that besides you know what you're the 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 science nature of it's pulling out of this that that's very useful to angle anglers as well uh, that they can and go back and look at history and all of that uh as well yeah that was really important is is making sure that we can provide value back to the anglers because there's got to be something in it for the anglers like certainly the prizes are a key part but from a personal angling perspective i know for me i've got all these uh, catches in bc we've got some on the west coast you know some of the salmon trips we've taken uh sturgeon tripping on the on the fraser and uh i can go back and i can see exactly where those catches were made look at the lengths uh get a sense of sort of where the clustering is and and just see okay am i going to go back to the same location or i'm going to try a new new location and and we are sort of th if you think about it this is this is always a work in, in motion so we don't know if we're providing the best value back to anglers. So we're always interested to hear from anglers, you know, is there something you'd like to see a feature and adaptation if we can include it without, you know, uh, breaking the budget or, or killing our developers, you know, we'd love <laughs> to include that. But, but the visualization of your own data for your own purposes is really an important part of that. And I don't know if we're, we're, we're hitting the target or we're getting close, but, uh, but it was something we're always trying to work on. Cool, cool. And I definitely have used it. And I know you, you say, you know, information is, is private, but I've also, I have a few friends that I do share, you know, where I, and, uh, where I catch with. And so it's easy just to take a screenshot and say, hey, this is my route. This is where I went and this is where I caught them, you know, and I'll share that with a few people. Not definitely not everybody, but, uh, yep. um, and, uh, but very cool. So, um, um, where do you guys see uh, this going from here? Like, I, obviously, you want to keep uh, data collecting. Um, you know, uh, do you have hopes? To, I, I, I was curious about what you see in uh, the angler involvement, how it's grown. You know, is it is it super fast growing or hopefully, you know, uh, you know, outlets like this will will grow your uh, amount of anglers present. But I was just curious uh, how you're seeing that increase. Sean, if I may, I'm going to jump in on this one. Um, we've actually, uh, in addition to the great partnership that we have with AFTCO, we were also able to develop a partnership with MLF uh, fishing tournaments uh, through their fisheries management division. So that has actually uh, led us to be able to receive information about blotchy bass caught not only in North America, but in the other countries where 
MLF tournaments are held. Uh, we've actually received um, some data and photos from tournaments of fish that were caught in a couple of different, oh, what are they called? In, are they provinces in Me Mexico? Is that uh, um, I know states, what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> two, uh, two or three uh, different areas in Mexico, uh, Italy, and South Africa um, are, are, you know, some, some information we've received so far. And, and although that the app is not set up, for those anglers to be able to use that. But in addition to the app, you know, we've, we've been able to make those connection with the, you know, with these major fishing tournaments and, and we're able to reach more anglers than, than I know I ever thought possible. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Sean was like, this is nothing to him, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, we're seeing, and just from a, from a Texas perspective, uh, I have to give a shout out to the anglers here because, um, you know, we received, in eight months from when I started advertising using my personal Facebook page to the, the few angling groups that I'm associated with, um, because they're always the ones, you know, with their thumbprint on the poles of the fishing around here. So um, when I started that eight months later, we had received 1,016 individual fish submissions okay. from, I can't even count how many anglers and from all over the state of Texas and some in Louisiana. So but then now, you know, as we present these data and we're going to conferences and it's, you know, getting on podcasts and social media and, and being shared everywhere, it just seems like there's always, you know, more anglers, more state biologists coming from everywhere that says, hey, we want, you know, we saw this over here. You know, how can we help? What can we do? And it just it feels like it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger every day. Awesome. Awesome. That's I was hoping to hear that. And um, like I said, hopefully this will contribute to that in any way possible. I, I'm uh, definitely happy to help. Uh, we do have quite a uh, follow, uh, you know, uh, a good group of listeners for our podcast as well. So if we can get a few or quite a few of them, hopefully uh, contributing uh, fish as well, like, you know, yeah, we'll do what we can. So um, Luke, do you have any other, um, other uh, yeah, hopes and dreams for this or where it's headed? Or yeah. So, I mean, I, I see the blotch, this blotchy bass biosurveillance, you know, continuing for, for some time. But, you know, in many ways, um, this almost seems to be like the ideal, um, you know, fish disease to track. I mean, it, it's very it's very obvious to anglers. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I think he's been, as Cynthia and Sean mentioned, you know, communication, just getting the word out to kind of onboard more, more anglers, more boots on the ground um, is probably one of our, our biggest bottlenecks. But, you know, I, I, I kind of almost kind of see the blotchy bass, this blotchy bass biosurveillance via smartphone app um, sort of dysfunctioning as in some ways a, a, a means to, to condition anglers to actually collect this type of data. Um, and I can see in the future this being applied for monitoring other other fish diseases or other conditions. Um, I mean, you can even see application for um, you know surveillance of uh, invasive species, even right. So I mean, there are lots of applications, and and really the uh, connecting with the anglers is probably the best way to increase surveillance. I mean, resource managers only have limited bandwidth right if we already have a um if we, are, if we already have a, a group of you know passionate anglers um 
on, on the water, you know, utilizing their data sets is, I mean, that's, that, it's amazing if that can actually be utilized, you know, especially for something more proactive than reactive. Um, you know, so, we, yeah, so I, I kind of see potential growth in, in that direction. I think it, it, it seems like it could definitely be used as a model uh, for, many like you mentioned invasive species and uh you know we just uh my last episode we talked about snakehead um snakehead are something that you know they're they're really talking a lot about here in the susquehanna river as uh they make their way uh up the river and and um into our waters and it's there's a lot of information going around all over the place about whether it's good whether it's bad but um i would think just being able to use that to to study that like scientists can take a look at what you guys have done with blotchy bass and um you know with little to uh, you know a little bit of manipulation make uh it matched their studies that they're doing as well and I, i'm thinking i know pennsylvania we're kind of lucky because our uh uh, fishing game does uh, invest a lot into um, conservation efforts, but I'm sure there's some states where maybe they don't have the budget to do that and they don't have a lot of staff that can go out and study um, all these different bodies of water that might need studied. And if you can um, get your data uh, through something like the uh, MyCatch app and and similar to how we're doing with Blotchy Bass Bonanza, that it will help those states that don't have the resources or the manpower to do it themselves to still find a way to get that information and and maybe conduct their own studies at that point. I, I, I could see that being super helpful and just being a model for future going forward to saying, hey, you don't have to have all the manpower. You know, as much as you can get is great. But uh, in the event that you are struggling in that department, here's another way that you can collect data. So, all right. Uh, well, very cool guys. Um, what am I missing? Like, uh, is there anything else that you can think of that you'd want, uh, listeners to know, or I know, uh, will Sean will definitely, uh, you know, let you talk about, you know, the website, you know, or, or the app and then how you get the app and where to go to sign up. But, uh, anything else you guys can think of, um, that, uh, I might've forgotten. We kind of covered a lot of the important bits. Yeah, I, I think one I think one thing that we haven't really talked about is because this was a big thing for anglers in Texas is um, is the virus transmissible to humans or domestic pets. And uh, as far as we know, the answer is no. This this virus, again, I, I'm not a virologist, but this is what Clay and Luke have told me is that it is not uh, it's never been, you know, found in humans or domestic pets. So therefore, the fish are definitely safe to be handled. Uh, safe to eat as long as they're cooked properly. You, know, you don't have to worry about, you know, your dog getting in the water that, you know, might contain this virus. It would be perfectly fine. So that's, you know, we definitely want anglers to know that, you know, they're not putting themselves at risk if they catch and collect data on blotchy bass for us. That's a, definitely a good point. Um, I was, uh, have you seen it? I know, obviously, we were, you talked about it being in a couple different of uh, the black bass family, like Guadalupe, or the, is Guadalupe and black bass? I think. Yeah. Yes, sir. So yes. It, has it, has it gone outside of the bass family to like walleye or anything like that, as far as you know, or, um, you know, carp, you know, is it, or catfish, or is it kind of sticking in the black bass family? So it's an, it's an interesting question. So, so, so first of all, you know, if we kind of like step back to what we now know about the virus biology and the virus, and I'll say viruses. So it's interesting because um, 
the the virus that is associated with blotchy bass and smallmouth bass um, is actually different but related to the one associated with the same clinical signs in largemouth bass. So, um, yeah, there so there actually seems to be very high host specificity, right? So, um, you know, we don't we don't have you know strong science on these specific viruses to to support this, but it's you know uh, th these viruses are related to papillomaviruses, um, and it, which again have very high host specificity and um, you know, it, it's unlikely that the virus from smallmouth is going to jump to a walleye. Um, but, you know, it, it, and at present, we're only aware of these, these two different viruses in the small and lar largemouth bass. Um, other fish, Guadalupe Lupe bass, I believe, have been reported with, um, you know, blotchy lesions. So, you know, to me, that almost suggests that we need to sample other fish and there could be the potential of other adomaviruses um, having different fish hosts. So um, it, it's interesting because you know we, we do receive lots of reports of of fish with this hyperpigmented condition now, though uh, brown bullheads. Um, uh, we've seen images even from from some salmonid species. Um, you know, we haven't sampled those fish to actually answer the virus question. And you know there 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 are other things that can lead to hyperpigmentation. Um, however, you know, in the case of the blotchy bass, I mean, this is a fairly um, you know hallmark presentation that you know is very straightforward. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, Sean, I wanted to give you a chance. Like I said, um, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about is the rules. Like as far as when you're catching fish. Um, size does uh like is there a, a certain size frame uh that you're looking for or as far as rules of uh, what fish count and um what you're looking for uh how does that go yeah so ideally in order to get a good prevalence number which is how often does it occur we need all fish that you catch uh being recorded and so unlike a lot of sort of traditional uh tournaments per se we don't care about the longest fish. We have a leaderboard for longest fishes because people like to, to, <laughs> to see who's get the longest, but our prizing isn't structured around that. Uh, it's purely a random draw prize. So every fish you catch uh, increases your odds of, of uh, basically being drawn a prize. So that's an incentive to report all your catches. And if, if we can get all the catches reported and doesn't matter the size, small to large, it actually helps us uh, understand the nature of the population for specific water bodies. And so, for example, uh, you were talking about uh, where might this sort of thing grow, how, how you can apply this in other cases. I, I mentioned earlier briefly, we're working with the Iowa DNR. Uh, basically, they stock over 150 million walleye across their whole state every year. Huge amounts of resources go to collect the brood stock, basically um, uh, run the hatcheries, uh, grow the fish and then release them where there's a big gap in their management plan is what happens after the fish are released. So how are the fish doing? How are they growing? What's the relative pressure? So this is where we come in with this model and the anglers, we can help them fill in that gap. And by reporting every single fish, you get to see a length distribution. We call it a histogram, but basically you see the young age class shoot right up on these, on these histograms. So it tells you a lot about the nature of the population and those species. And so that's why we really encourage everyone to report every fish that they catch. Uh, through the app. Um, I guess one thing I, I 
probably step back a little bit on when you were talking about sort of thinking forward what, what do we want out of it I, I know for me a really important part of this this is still a fairly uncertain area of fishery science i mean a lot of folks still kind of look at it with a skeptical eye thinking well you can't really get good data just from anglers you need to be trained in the formal areas of science whereas i would say sometimes that's absolutely true but there are many cases where the anglers can play a really important role. So formalizing that area within the scientific uh, fishery science profession. So working with the American Fishery Society in particular, because that is the body of fishery scientists for the most part. Uh, I think there's about 8,000 members across Canada, the U.S. And, and internationally. And so trying to try to find a way to bring this into into the the sort of formalize this area of science and a key part is going to be how do we bring the anglers in and so there's a really neat educational opportunity because like you were saying you're you're really a you know conservationist you you probably have a lot of questions well you do have a lot of questions as we can tell here about how things are working well what an amazing way to bring anglers up to speed on where science is at than having them actually participate in the scientific process in in the in the method you're going to get uh people who are thoroughly engaged and and really open to learning what in other cases, if you think of a classroom example, a lot of people roll their eyes like science class. Well, this is actually applied science. And what an amazing way to, to educate uh, people who other, otherwise, you know, you're working all the time. You don't have time to, to do this. But, but just by nature of participating, there's an education that comes with it. So to me, that is a really important part of that. Rooting this area of science and formalizing it and, and having it as an opportunity for anglers to educate themselves about the, the the science of fisheries I, I think that that to me is when i'm thinking of the long term that's the vision that's what we want to do and i think the afs the american fisheries site is a natural home for that and so we set up working groups luke's in there I, i'm not sure cynthia if you're you're on there but we work with agencies across uh, north america um you know like dan doherty of texas works with alligator gar and guides really cool ways of collecting new data we work with certain folks on the fraser we work with you know uh, uh folks with, with trout on the bow river trying to understand whirling disease so we, what we want to do is find a home for all this because it's happening in all these different places so so that's sort of uh, that long-term vision i've got now, i guess you were asking sorry i got distracted with your question yeah you're good uh more information the better <laughs> asking about the app so basically all all people do is they go to the website anglersatlas.com there's a tab event and all our events, at least our publicly facing events, we have private events and things we, we don't put to the public, but uh, all the public events are there and Blotchy Bass is one of the events. You just go there, you find the, the uh, event and you sign up. You can do it on the website or you can just download the MyCatch app and all the events are there. And you sign up, basically you log in, you set up an account like anything, you know, you set up an account for Gmail and then you'll have a username. And that username is basically how we make sure that all these catches that get reported are tied to that individual angler. Uh, and then basically uh, once you're signed up, you sign up for your tournament and basically you just go out. And what you'll notice is there's a button at the bottom that says start trip. So that's a really important feature we added last year. And primarily what this allows us to do is to measure the zeros. Now, I know it might seem strange. It's like, I'm not tell. why would I tell people I don't catch anything? Well, that's <laughs> a really important piece of the data because if you, if, if a bunch of anglers are fishing on a water body and they're not catching anything, one out of a hundred catch them, that tells you a lot about the state of that fishery. It tells you there's, cause anglers are hunters. They can, they can find fish, right? Um, 
if you're not catching fish or your catch rate is super low, that's going to tell you something about the nature of that fishery. Now, you know, when, if you get into the scientific uh, discussions and debates, there's, there's some, there's some discussion about how useful that, that information is, but there is real value to it. And so that's why you want to start a trip because if you don't catch anything, you end your trip and there's a zero. Now, if you do that, uh, we will also add that in as a, as a, as a prize option as well. That's mostly for the Iowa event, but certainly, you know, we want to capture that data as well when you're, you're doing that stuff. And then basically when you're in a trip, there's an add catch button. You just add the catch, basically take a picture of the fish, fill in a few details and you're off fishing. And ideally it takes less than a minute to fill out. So maybe, well, you, you tell me what you think, Sean, you've, gone through it you've filled out a, a fish is it fairly straightforward what are the challenges you've got um well I'll, I'll be the first one to admit that my biggest challenge is remembering to end my trip usually i'm two blocks away from the boat ramp and i'm like oh yeah that's that's gonna skew that data a little bit because i'll have a nice straight road line driving yeah. away from the boat ramp but uh no other than that when uh uh you know submitting a fish because it it takes you, you basically uh you you hit add fish it pops up right to the camera app gives you a cool little silhouette to kind of you know put the fish in it and um and then uh you take that picture it says hey do you want to add a hero shot or uh, a release video i usually do uh one if not both and um then uh um then it uh, brings you to the type of fish it is um and if you like for me since i have most of mine are smallmouth um i do uh, it does remember that kind of so then it's right there for the next one and uh, i think the process is pretty straightforward uh um and I like the fact that then those pictures are saved to my camera roll. So later when I go to Facebook and say, hey, this is how I did. They're right there. And um, I, I can add those into my my Facebook posts and stuff like that saying, hey, look, at well, these are my catches. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have any problems using the app. I think it's pretty user friendly and straightforward. So. Well, that's good. Good to hear. Yeah, we're always looking for feedback, and yeah, the forgetting to end the trip is is something. Uh, <laughs> you can edit it afterwards and make those adjustments, but we still haven't found a really slick way to do that. We've had some ideas that maybe once the the app detects once you're off water, maybe there's a reminder that pops up, but that's a little bit more sophisticated than we can do just now. So I might look at that this fall. So I know for kayakers, you could probably go off a of speed because as soon as I start going over 10 miles per hour, yeah, you know, totally. I'm probably not in my kayak anymore. <laughs> Either that or I'm going over a waterfall or something bad's happening, but, um, so, okay, cool. Well, um, uh, I wanted to uh, say for any folks in the science community looking to kind of use this as a model, who's the best person to reach out to or how can they get a hold of you guys to say, hey, how did you put all this together? How are you using this? I guess I can I can go with that. Yeah, just reach out to me. Um, uh, it takes about 15 minutes to set up. It can be super fast, so long as we know what the question is. And basically, I start with what's the experimental design? You know, what question are we trying to answer? And then what data do we need? And then we structure the event that satisfies those those objectives. If it's pretty straightforward, it takes me 15 minutes, half an hour to actually build the event and post it live. So it's really fast. But but then the, the key challenge and always the biggest challenge is how are we going to recruit the anglers? So prizing is key. Um, if you've already got an audience that's engaged, that's gold. But uh, but if you don't, then you've got to really come up with a good strategy. When we're launching new events from scratch with without any background, prizing is probably the best way to do it. So. Cool. Very cool. Well, um, I, I think we've covered pretty much anything. I wanted to give you all a, a chance just to shout out any, any, you know, organizations that you work with, any, 
Uh, obviously, I'm going to include links to, I think you said AFCO and Bass, uh, Bass Pro. Um, we'll, we'll definitely Major include links to them. Major League Fishing. Oh, and we'll include links to all of those uh, as, as sponsors of this event. Um, so uh, shout out to those uh, uh, organizations and companies for supporting this because I think that's awesome. You know, uh, especially AFCO sounds like they really stepped up. So uh, very cool to hear about that. Um, any other uh, uh, links or anything you guys want uh, want to throw out there? Uh, you know, obviously, um, I'll put links to uh, the uh, Atlas, uh, Angler's Atlas and, uh, you know, how to get this or where to find the app in the app store and stuff, but anything else you guys would like included? So we could always provide the link for our, our project page. If you'd like, I don't know if that'll. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, if you guys could send me that, I'll make sure I include that in the show notes too. Cause that, that was one thing I kind of uh, thought about, uh, you know, I, I enjoy being uh, a part of the, the blotchy bass and seeing the, the length and stuff too. But I was very curious about, what it looked like on the back end. What's the, what's the science data look like? So if any of that is shared in the project page, I think that would be really cool to, uh, for a lot of folks to check out. So yeah, if you give me that, I'll definitely include that in my notes too. Sure. And I guess one thing I should mention that I, I haven't yet is that, you know, West Virginia university is a, is a, a critical partner, you know, in, in this project as well. Okay. Very cool. I will include them as well. Um, all right. Uh, so I think that kind of wraps things up, guys. If you uh, don't have anything else, then I'll, I'll let you get back to your days. Uh, again, I appreciate you all so much for coming on. Um, all the listeners definitely go out, check out the sponsors. Um, you know, they couldn't do this without them. But also, um, if, if you have the time and, and you're at all interested, sign up for the Blotchy Bass Bonanza and, and start taking pictures of your fish. Uh, it's only going to uh, benefit you and and the, the fisheries that you fish. So definitely give it a chance and uh, give it a try. And uh, I think uh, think you'll enjoy it as much as I do. So thank you all for your time so much. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Take care. Uh, Thank you, Sean. Yep. All right, guys, this has been another episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. You guys have a good night. Thank you.